Welcome to PRN's Progressive Radio News Hour. I'm Steve Lindman. My guest is Rick Rosoff. Rick has been on many times, uh, the founder and editor of the vitally important Stop NATO website, uh, a resource that I uh, visit on a daily basis, and I invite I urge listeners to do exactly the same thing, to know what's going on with NATO, uh, which I call, and I'm sure Rick feels the same way, a killing machine, uh, just ravaging the earth, wanting to be the world's policeman, and just, uh, you know, wage one imperial war after another. Certainly it's up to no good. Well, Rick, there's so much going on. Uh, certainly the Ukraine story isn't letting up at all. And I think before long, we'll see the real intentions of the uh, fascist government in Kiev, in cahoots with Washington, the idea of uh, a regime of silence for a day or a week or whatever, just giving the uh, forces in uh, Kiev a chance to regroup, rearm. They've already uh, deployed more forces to the southeastern area. Let's get into that a little bit. But first, first, Comment on the Cuban situation. I wrote an article this morning, and in plain English, I see nothing good coming out of the announcement yesterday. I don't trust anybody in Washington as far as I can throw them, and I don't think there's anything different from the announcement yesterday about so-called thawed relations between America and Cuba, and I don't think the Cubans are stupid enough to think so either. Well, you know, first of all, I have to mention this. Uh, yesterday I heard the news. I was startled. I imagine most of the world was. Oh, I, I was stunned. Uh, but I immediately went to your blog site to try to get some orientation, and sure enough, you had an article already. Uh, oh, this morning. Know, per- this morning yeah, I did it. I, didn't have to, I wanted to do it yesterday, Rick, but I didn't have time, and uh, it, it was on the top of my list. I had a chance to sleep, sleep on it overnight, get a couple of new ideas, but I jumped on it very early this morning, and there's an article on my blog site on it. And that was my uh, frame of reference for, you know, beginning the discussion. And, uh, you know, you incidentally are quite correct. You have a quote on your, in your article from uh, Cuban President Raul Castro. Uh, let me just see it here. I've been jumping around. Uh, where he basically said that even though this is a breakthrough of certain types, uh, you know, they are not um, you know, letting their guard down, that is Cuba, because they know with whom they have to deal, as you indicate. And um, so I, I think that uh, quote from Raul Castro is important. Also, you know, one that... Uh, I don't, in um, Obama's statement yesterday, um, I think it's it's important to uh, quote him uh, because uh, this, you know, the the very least that can be said about this is he is in no way or form apologizing for over half a century. Of, uh, of economic boycott attempts to overthrow, undermine the government, uh, making the Cuban people pay the price for U.S. geopolitical interests and so forth. The actual quote I'm thinking of from Obama yesterday is as follows, though this policy has been rooted in the best of intentions. In other words, it's noble and grand and uh, disinterested and, you know, uh, so forth, as everything, of course, the White House does is, uh, in their own estimate. Uh, He goes on to say, no other nation joins us in imposing these sanctions, and it has had little effect beyond providing the Cuban Cuban government with the rationale for restrictions on its people. So the Cuban government is guilty for the... um, 
you know, the sacrifices that people have to make rather than the U.S., which is enforcing a boycott. Uh, now, as to, uh, you know, the message that no other country is joining the U.S., that's correct, of course, but that's never stopped. Uh, you know, the rogue state, the world's sole military superpower, from acting completely unilaterally vis-a-vis uh, -vis Israel, for example, uh, to a lesser extent, perhaps Western Sahara, up until 14 years ago, East Timor, you know, the, uh, the uh, condemning in the uh, United Nations Security Council, the uh, resumption of neo-Nazism in Europe, uh, the U.S., Canada, and, and Ukraine, of course, voted against the resolution proposed by Russia. So uh, the U.S. is not afraid to stand alone, as the rogue state it truly is. So one has to take with a grain of salt, you know, even that concern that other countries weren't joining in the sanctions. And uh, I think, you know, and I'm just going to say openly, and you've hinted at it in your article, um, that the uh, you know the old popular expression that you catch more flies with honey than vinegar I think is probably the operative dynamic here, and that the U.S. feels that through um, you know, uh, undermining the country through U.S. agency and international development as it's been avidly doing, and other measures that it can uh, try to coax the uh, Cuban government and people into. Um, you know, allowing the, the U.S. to infiltrate further and then, uh, you know, undermine the country from within, more in a color revolution scenario. That would be my immediate suspicion. Well, I think quoting Obama is very important, as you mentioned, Rick. Obama, in his comments uh, on the White House website, anybody can read them all. I took some selective comments that he made out from the complete text. And among the things that he said was, quote, uh, we're – Oh, I made, I made a grammatical error. We twice. I can fix that on my blog site. But we're under. We, we, we're. Um, we're taking. Um I'm under no illusion about the continued barriers to freedom that remain for ordinary Cubans. Given Cuba's history, I expect it will continue to pursue foreign policies that will at times be sharply at odds with American interests. And you can read between the lines, Rick, and, and, and realize what he's saying is when those instances come up, America will act accordingly, you know, continue the regime change policy or whatever. There's no question in my mind that the policy of America toward Cuba is regime change. It was since 1959, and it remains the same today. No, absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm thinking, I'm going back to my childhood and some of these references, but uh, a little red writing it, right? The better to devour you with, my dear. Uh, the U.S. would not resort to, um, you know, a, a carrot rather than a stick unless it felt the stick had failed and that some combination of a overt a carrot and a covert stick, uh, as you indicate, you know, with uh, when, when uh, Cuba's with odds with the U.S. and foreign policy issues, it will pay the price. Um, let's be, you know, quite frank, when the White House talks about uh, differences of opinion, um, you know, their arsenal, military and political, in includes, uh, you know, devastating uh, capacities, and then they'll be applied towards Cuba again, as they have been consistently uh, since 1961 at least. Uh, we also have to keep in mind the key pivotal role that Cuba has played uh, in, the, uh, in the emergence of the Bolivarian Alliance for the Peoples of Our America, ALBA, and also... Um, uh, CELIC, uh, the community of Latin American and Caribbean countries, uh, Cuba being both uh, Spanish-speaking uh, nation uh, in the Caribbean, uh, it, uh, it then is uniquely positioned to uh, rally other countries in that sea, in the Caribbean as well as Central and, and South American nations. So, uh, you know, it's, it has played a unique role. And the U.S., in fact, has been isolated in a way that Mr. Obama hasn't the courage to identify, which is when the um, uh, community of Latin American and uh, Caribbean countries was established uh, just maybe four or five years ago, uh, it included, and to, to this date, includes every nation in the Western Hemisphere, except 
except the United States and Canada. I think that's revealing. And it's more that the U.S. feels isolated in its own hemisphere. Uh, that uh, may have been a factor in the Obama administration, uh, according to the press reports we're both familiar with, having engaged in secret negotiations for the past 18 months to bring about a rapprochement, including the establishment of full diplomatic relations. That is a significant factor. But as you indicate in your article, this may be more um, uh, style than content. It may be more form than, uh, you know, than uh, uh, essence uh, in that with the Republican-controlled uh, Congress and Senate, we're likely to not see uh, anything substantive occur. That was very keen of you to point that out. Well, the embargo was in place since uh, spring of uh, 1961, and uh, you've got Helms-Burton legislation since uh, 1996, I believe, toughening the embargo. And this is congressional legislation. Uh, I would imagine that a president probably, maybe by executive order, could buck these laws, but might be reluctant to do so, So you, especially since uh, the president isn't particularly keen on doing it in the first place, uh, the rhetoric differing from the policy. So you've got the Impressive legislation in place, a Republican Congress taking over in January, not about to uh, change this. Uh, you've got a presidential aspirant in Jeb Bush. I quoted him, and he refers to the Cuban government as a dictatorship. So you can see how he feels. And other Republican hardliners, they will fight any, any thawing of relation of the relationship tooth and nail, I believe. So you'll get a lot of rhetoric, Rick. And I think once the smoke clears, I don't think you're going to see a lot of things change. You can open an embassy. You can do a lot of things. You can go through a lot of motions. You can, make, you can say a lot of things. But when the rubber meets the road, it could be we'll still be stuck in the same stew. And I really do believe that the Cuban people, after over half a century, don't trust Washington as far as they can throw them unless until one day something really different happens than what has happened over all these many past years. And there certainly is no sign whatever uh, so far. It's only one day after the announcement was made. But there certainly is no evidence to prove that what Obama says is what actually will happen. And I just flat don't believe any of this is going to happen other than a little window dressing maybe that would be meaningless. I have to concur with you, uh, except that when you mention the embassy, let's admit that, you know, constructing or reopening, I guess probably constructing from scratch, most likely a new American embassy, it would be the greatest seedbed of subversion uh, that history has known. Uh, a U.S. embassy is uh, is not only uh, spying, surveillance, and, and infiltration and whatnot, it is the very, um, you know, springboard or launching pad for regime change within any country on the face of the earth currently. Uh, you know, Russia is, is one I think we should pay attention to, by the way. We also keep, have to keep in mind uh, the Cuban government's close uh, political, economic, and military uh, 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 ties with Russia as being a factor in the U.S. trying to wean it away, I'm sure, and wean away with it uh, Alba, uh, Silak, and, uh, you know, the Caribbean and Latin America from Russian influence. This is also a factor. We do live in a, you know, global uh, situation. The other thing I worry about, though, and I think we better inoculate people with this, is as we talked about honey earlier, let me use another popular expression. I'm sure it's the U.S.'s intent based on the color revolution model, uh, you know, starting in Yugoslavia in 2000 and uh, the year 2000 and subsequently in several other countries, that uh, once Cuban youth in particular uh, get a taste of honey, uh, they'll want more and more. And what this means is not the you know, much-touted freedom and democracy and pluralism and so forth the State Department uh, speaks about, but it is a U.S.-style consumerism, mass pop pseudoculture, 
uh, you know, oftentimes, uh, you know, d decadent and degenerate in its very nature, certainly misanthropic. Uh, and that, you know, this is a, a sort of beachhead the, U uh, the U.S. can establish amongst particularly young people and particularly young people in Havana. Uh, let's not fool ourselves. Uh, we, I would like to believe people are better than this, but they have fallen for it before. And I think this will be a major factor. In other words, what we can anticipate the U.S. Embassy doing is sponsoring daily, uh, allegedly cultural and, uh, and other programs to try to suck in and recruit uh, Cuban youth for, uh, you know, some sort of color revolution operation. Well, I think you're absolutely right, Rick. Uh, you know, bring the bread and circuses, uh, uh, Western culture, Western movies. Uh, how about an NFL game, maybe the Super Bowl in Havana? Now, wouldn't that be something? Again, weaning weaning Cuban people away from what they have. Show, make them feel like, you know, look at, look at the people in America have compared to what you don't have down here, uh, uh, Cubans. I don't know what Cubans know or they don't know. I would hope that Cubans do know that most people in America really don't have a hell of a lot. They have a lot of poverty. They have a lot of unemployment. They have a lot of human misery. And they certainly don't get free health care and education and things like that. Now, what the Cuban people know, I don't know. But I would hope that they know that. So maybe these games that America certainly would, would be likely to pull would not go off as well in Cuba as it might somewhere else. But again, we don't know, Rick. We just have to watch and wait and See. You know, you raise a very interesting point. Uh, within the past week, I spoke to a friend of mine in Canada uh, who's on disability. He was a truck driver and he's disabled. He can barely eke out an existence up there. Um, he needed dentures. He could not afford them even with the Canadian health care plan because of what he had to pay. He went to Cuba because there are Canadians, unlike ourselves, are permitted to go to Cuba, um, you know, without being stigmatized and, uh, you know, by the State Department, hunted down by the Federal Bureau of Investigation. And he had dentures made uh, for $80, got, picked them up the next day. You know, I had the impression done one day, picked him the next day as $80, and he said, had he been a Cuban national, they would have been free. So, yeah, I sincerely hope uh, that, you know, uh, with, with, uh, that the Cubans don't uh, sell their um, birthright for a mess of pottage and, uh, you know, uh, pine for the flesh pots of North America and then lose everything they've got. It's been a long time, Rick, but I've uh, written about Cuban health care compared to America's. And for the average person in Cuba and the average person in America, the Cuban people get better health care than Americans get. You know, well-off Americans can get any health care that they want. Uh, if they can, You can have anything you want if you can afford it. And, of course, uh, insurance is extremely expensive in America, and Cuba has free first-world health care, top-of-the-line health care, and, of course, free education, wonderful benefits. Now, if, uh, if the sanctions are eliminated, and certainly we're a long way from that, but if they were eliminated, uh, they could have many more things than they have now, other than the repressive culture that could really bear down on them, but uh, but they have wonderful things that America uh, can't even imagine, and the same is true for countries like Venezuela, again, free health care, free education, so poverty is not an issue in getting the essentials to life that you need, subsidized food, subsidized housing, very important things, and Americans get none of, none of this. They get reduced, reduced food stamps. That's what Americans get. They get heating oil subsidies cut in winter when they most need it, get cut more and more and more. This is the situation in America. So I, I hope that the Cuban people and others don't fall for this stuff. But I'm very concerned, Rick. It's a, it's a, it's a potential door opener, and America is very good at fooling people. Yes. 
seducing as well as duping. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's been a conscientious effort for decades, you know, going back to the 1950s at least, that where a open political discourse or, or uh, you know, argument was not l- uh, likely to win people over, the U.S. operated, if you will, subliminally, you know, with, uh, you know, cultural uh, uh, or pseudo-cultural, as I prefer to put it, uh, enticements uh, to have people join, you know, whatever it was, you know, the me generation or the Pepsi generation or the Woodstock generation or, you know, whatever it's been. Um, so that, uh, you know, people are enamored of uh, this constant party atmosphere they, they presume prevails in North America. Uh, we could set them straight on that, of course, you know, uh, or somebody who's, you know, you're speaking to right now who has spent several thousand dollars on dental work over the last few years, uh, even though I pay into a dental insurance policy at work. Uh, you know, I could tell them the truth, but I, I wonder if they'd listen. So, you know, I think we have to be cautious. Another thing that has to be kept in mind is the U.S. has been steadily uh, increasing its military forces in the Caribbean. And I think this is, is something people haven't noticed sufficiently. For example, six years ago, um, after being having been disestablished shortly after World War II, uh, that is at the beginning of the Korean War, the U.S. Fourth Fleet was reinstated in 2008, and it takes in the Caribbean, uh, Central America, and South America, but primarily uh, the uh, Caribbean. So uh, U.S. flew one of its uh, six regional fleets had taken the entire planet. Uh, was um, you know uh, reinstalled or uh, um, uh, reinstalled indeed uh, in 2008 uh, after it had been abolished in 1950. At the same time, roughly uh, for the first time ever, a NATO North Atlantic Treaty Organization naval group came into the Caribbean. This is what's called the Standing NATO Maritime Group. They're uh, one and two, and they you know divide up most of the world between them as well. But this one came down the Atlantic seaboard of the United States into the Caribbean, where they uh, I can't remember if they docked in NATO um, nations' territories, uh, such as those of um, the Netherlands and uh, and France and England and so forth, uh, who you know, still have territories in the Caribbean. We have to remember that as well. Uh, so that – and about that time, too, maybe a little bit earlier uh, – uh, uh, Chavez, Hugo Chavez in Venezuela sounded the alarm about a uh, NATO um, invasion plan called Operation Balboa. Uh, so we uh, have to keep in mind that the, if there is a carrot, there's also a stick, and that stick, uh, uh, you know, is getting larger as time goes on. And U.S. military presence, uh, you know, in addition to. Uh, uh, the Southern Command, which takes in uh, the Caribbean, South, and Central America. Also, the um, reinstatement of the uh, Fourth Fleet and the fact that NATO, for the first time, has been, uh, you know, enter the Caribbean are factors that uh, tell us what the stick is. Rick, I remember writing about some of this, not NATO, uh, sailing down the east coast of America into the Caribbean, but uh, Operation Balboa and uh, and the Fourth Fleet uh, being reinstated almost since the end of World War II, uh, with, with certainly no enemies, no threat in the region, and you get these kind of things going on, and Hugo Chavez screaming bloody murder legitimately that there could be some mischief uh, uh, about to go on uh, of America inflicting it against uh, Venezuela, uh, literally expecting an, an invasion. And again, it's been a long time, Rick. I could go back and find an old article that I wrote about this, maybe a couple of articles. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you were on that. Uh, You know, you sounded the alarm when it needed to be. and, you know, with it, people had paid more attention to it at the time because we could see this, again, is, is the local manifestation of a global strategy. And, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, vitally important that we do recognize that nothing happens in isolation. Truly, uh, there is, a, you know, an application of a global strategy to a regional 
uh, to a region, uh, but it is one comparable to what's going on in every other part of the world, we should mention. And we talked about the fourth fleet being one of six fleets. There's no first fleet, but there's uh, second through seventh. Um, it's you know unprecedented in history, obviously, that one nation has is, is, uh, taken over the waterways of the entire planet and subordinated uh, you know the earth uh, to uh, six mil- uh, naval fleets that are uh, unprecedented also in in terms of uh, lethal power. The U.S. has all the world's, uh, 11, I believe, uh, uh, super carriers, nuclear-powered super carriers, uh, which have, uh, you know, combat groups that accompany them uh, so that they can strike any part of the world, uh, you know, seven parts of the world perhaps or more, or 11 parts simultaneously. Uh, This is a, uh, um, you know, frightening uh, military potential that really uh, is a threat to the world and needs to be reined in and dismantled. Indeed so, Rick, and America is the only country that might actually go ahead with some of these nefarious plans. Uh, Literally, uh, who knows what what mischief they have up their sleeves, but uh, we do know that America has war plans ready against various countries uh, like Russia, like Iran. Uh, Having plans and and implementing them are entirely different, but there are plans made, uh, they're updated, so America is ready to go to war. When America attacked Afghanistan in October 2001, about four or five weeks after 9-11. It it wasn't something, it wasn't an impromptu war. It was a war that was planned many months in advance. And the the, uh, 9-11 event came along, and uh, the date, I guess, was picked to launch the war. And there we had it, uh, attack on Afghanistan, followed by an attack on Iraq, followed by an attack on Libya, followed by an attack on Syria. What's next, Rick? I'm glad you raised that. Not too long ago, former President Clinton, who may have had, may still maintain, uh, I guess Obama's now beaten him, as being the American president who, is, who had bombed more countries than any other in, in our nation's history. I think he was up to seven or eight countries in his two terms. Obama's beat that now, in fact. But, you know, Clinton, not to be outdone by somebody he's, in, for the last several years, he's referred to as his brother, uh, George W. Bush. You know, as a matter of fact, George W. Bush, uh, a couple of days ago, uh, stated that, uh, you know, the the next president will either be his brother or his sister-in-law, Hillary Clinton, you know, his brother's wife. This, I mean, this is how chummy these two fellows are, and their political parties really are behind the scenes. But Clinton, uh, not too long ago, said he had contingency plans for striking and, and I believe, invading Afghanistan. So, you know, this was in place uh, at least a couple of years prior to 9-11, indeed, uh, you know, to confirm your point, and that one, each successive administration inherits uh, the foreign pol- policy portfolio and, and scenarios, uh, you know, created by its predecessors and simply acts on them, you know, for all the differences between the two uh, political parties in the White House vis-a-vis foreign policy. Well, Rick, there still are a fair number of independent countries in the world, the two main ones being China and Russia. And I have no doubt at all that America has detailed war plans drawn up to attack both of these countries and Venezuela and Iran and, of course, the others that are ongoing, uh, any other independent country. Uh, I'm, I'm certain against Cuba, even though it's, nothing has ever been implemented. Uh, probably won't be now, at least not in the short run. But the war plans are there, and they could be implemented any time. And uh, I imagine updated on a regular basis to be ready to go if uh, the president gives the order, which would really be an order by the system to go after a particular country. But this is the way America operates, Rick. It really is disgusting. And it forces countries like China and Russia to have defensive plans ready in case an attack on their mainland comes, and they know what they're dealing with when they have to deal with America.
You know, you're correct, but uh, we should, I think, as we've had occasion to talk about before, uh, we're familiar with the German military strategist Clausewitz, who said that war was a continuation of politics by other means. Yes. But what the uh, world's sole uh, military superpower, the U.S., has done in the post-Cold War, uh, World War II periods, surely, uh, is almost reverse that adage uh, to the point where politics and economics and everything else, culture, is a continuation of war by other means. And what we're seeing now, you know, when you mention Iran, Venezuela, and Russia as being three of the four countries that you know over the past couple of decades has offered any real uh, bid for multi, a multipolar world system and so forth uh, in relation to the U.S. and its NATO allies, we have to see once again just as six years ago. Uh, when the U.S. Uh, you know, conspired to, uh, to bring about a, a precipitate drop in oil prices, so the U.S. conspiring with its Saudi ally, its major, uh, the major recipient of U.S. military aid next to Israel, we have to remember, with whom the U.S. signed the largest bilateral uh, arms treaty in history uh, not too long ago, the Obama administration. You know, talking about dictators in Cuba, uh, just the other day, I think yesterday, the, uh, the Saudi government beheaded a Filipino national. And uh, that's all right with the State Department. The White House. They have no problems with that. Uh, at any rate, the fact that the U.S. is and, and with its Saudi client has now, you know, uh, weakened the largest export product of Russia, Iran, and Venezuela to the point where it's going to have devastating economic consequences in those three countries intentionally, with that express purpose. Keeping in mind that Cuba is the beneficiary of uh, you know greatly reduced uh, prices on oil from Venezuela, so Cuba itself gets hit with this. And uh, this is economic warfare, either preparatory to or complementary to uh, what could be a, a hot war uh, if, if the U.S. chooses to exercise that option in relation to the four countries you mentioned. Eric, uh, all this, I believe, is true. And uh, apparently there was a, a secret uh, meeting between uh, Saudi uh, King uh, Abdullah and John Kerry, uh, literally arranging this kind of a thing where the Saudis would flood the market with oil, drive the price down, hammering Russia. Also, uh, 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 Saudi Arabia uh, apparently at, uh, attacking uh, uh, U.S. fracking industry, which is being hurt very, yes. very badly by these yes. low oil prices. Uh, it, it means that fracking is not, it's not the honeypot that the, the plan has thought it was, uh, the, uh, the amount of oil that they need to extract, you've got to go a lot deeper to get it at higher cost. So as the, uh, as the price comes down, uh, the price that they can get comes down and the cost comes up, a lot of these companies, smaller ones especially, can end up in trouble. Uh, their junk bonds uh, may uh, default, and uh, we may see some carnage next year. Yeah, and, uh, heaven forbid, right, as we enter the Christmas season, but Mr. Hunter Biden may have a few sleepless nights in Kiev uh, when his plans to uh, peddle U.S. shale oil uh, to the uh, junta in that city, uh, you know, collapse because for the reason you mentioned, with oil prices going down, it's not economically viable. You know, one thing I don't, I don't believe I've ever spoken with you about on, on the air, Stephen, but I think it's worth noting that, uh, you know, ahead of the, uh, in many ways, watershed American presidential election of 2008, we, of course, had you know, the uh, plummeting of the U.S. stock market, particularly the bursting of the overly inflated real estate housing bubble, uh, which I don't believe uh, occurred when it did, at least, uh, accidentally. I think that was, uh, you know, engineered. But in, in December of 2008, uh, an unsigned editorial in the Wall Street Journal and a comment by George Soros almost simultaneously in December of 2008 said that with the uh, concomitant or the resultant drop in the price of oil, that the three countries that have been, you know, they would characterize it, challenging the United States and the world, Russia, Iran, and Venezuela, have all been hit and hit perhaps uh, irreparably. 
And, you know, to believe for a moment that anyone with the power to exercise, uh, you know, the, the, the power like that uh, would refrain from doing so, I'm talking about the U.S. and its allies, you know, is, is not something that should be entertained in, in a sensible uh, world. So that uh, what that was to me was, a, uh, you know, practically uh, an admission that the U.S. had engineered a dro- or had done everything it could in its power to bring about a, a drop in the oil prices in the world precisely to weaken Venezuela, Iran, and Russia, and they're doing it again. They're doing it again. I have no doubt, Rick, and uh, I believe I mentioned it in some past writing, that the uh, economic debacle of 2008, early 2009, was engineered engineered by Wall Street. Uh, and Wall Street has, has made out so big as a result of that crisis. They've, they've been able to consolidate to be much, much bigger in size now, much more powerful than they were back at the beginning of 2008. So there's always, a, there can be, what well, always is, I think there always is a nefarious side to these events going on. And as I understand it, the so-called economic meltdown that happened in 2008 really wasn't a meltdown at all. It was simply a debacle that engineered by Wall Street, agreed to, I guess, by the Bush folks uh, that, and, that enabled Wall Street to come out much, much more potent than they were before, and, and of course being financed by the taxpayer, trillions and trillions of dollars. Ordinary people got hit hard, but Wall Street didn't. They got in trouble. They got trillions of dollars in handouts, so they came out. Their profits were hammered for a while, but then they came back out so much more stronger, making so much more money, the executives making so much more money, and it could be we'll see another debacle unfold. Maybe it's unfolding now, I don't know, where the same thing will happen engineered by the powers that be to again let them come out more wealthier and more powerful than ever on the other end of it again we'll watch and see what happens no, you're country, actually, smaller you, countries can be hurt very very badly I think smaller country and smaller okay, people Rick. You know, you're right on both scores, Stephen, as smaller countries and smaller people. Look, uh, anyone who's listening to this program uh, who, uh, you know, after working for decades, may have been able to put a few thousand dollars into a money market account or a certificate of deposit, has watched that money sitting stagnant for six years, six and a half years, losing against inflation. So that, you know, the the one hope that people had, actually the two hopes people have for their retirement, one, that they may own a house, you know, the, the only major investment in their lifetime, the value of which was maybe be cut in half or more six years ago, and that they had some small savings put away where they were accumulating three or four percent interest on it. It's now zero, and it's zero for exactly the reason you mentioned, is that the White House steps in through the Federal Reserve Bank and lends uh, people's money, (laughs) taxpayers' money, to the banks at zero percent interest. Which then it takes away any incentive for the banks to provide interest for uh, certificates of deposit and, and money market accounts and so forth. It, in essence, then, you know, the one hope of people for centuries, at least in the West, to prepare for their retirement was to think, uh, put their money into some sort of investment that produced somewhere in the neighborhood, let's say, on average of 5% interest. And now for the last six years, it's produced 0% interest. Well, Rick, I, I feel exactly the same way. We're just about out of time. But I can remember back at the beginning of my working life in the early 1960s, where a simple passbook bank account paid 5%, and the thought in my mind was, gee, if I can put away some money, even if, even if it wasn't a lot, if I could retire and get 5% of my money year after year after year, well, maybe with Social Security I could scrape by and be just fine. 5% was 0% now. Take a look at your money market accounts and see the pennies that you get on your money. It really is a disgrace. And again, this money is being handed to the bankers 
for what for? Certainly not not for investment, not not uh, not to uh, not to uh, 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 loan out to to businesses uh, to uh, to help them uh, grow their businesses, but to buy up competition, to speculate buying stocks in bonds and currencies and whatever to make more money. And this is what these people have used trillions of dollars for, uh, including very very risky derivatives trading in in the multi trillions of dollars. And if they get in trouble, the taxpayers will be on the hook, not them. And that was a, that was a provision in the spending bill that just passed that the taxpayers will be on the hook again if the banks get in trouble so they have nothing to worry about. Right. They're making uh, economic rapacity a no-risk proposition, aren't they? Uh, heads they win, tails they win. That's the system that we have. <laughs> That's and it's exactly. the exact reverse for ordinary people, Rick. Oh, a final comment, which is about at the end of the program. Yeah, I, you know, we did not, as we, we have several times recently discussed the Ukraine situation, but I think people need to be reminded as we head into the Christmas season, where, uh, you know, two billion Christians in, on the face of the earth, and really, uh, for that matter, a billion and a third Muslims also, you know, celebrate the birth of uh, what is known as the Prince of Peace. That we have a war occurring in Ukraine uh, that's about 250 days old, where there are deaths almost every day, where recently both the head of the Defense Council in Ukraine and also the uh, you know, U.S.-appointed uh, Prime Minister Yatsenyuk are talking openly about uh, moving towards NATO membership, NATO interoperability, NATO standards for weapons, and so forth, uh, with the potential, of course, at any point of this escalating into something catastrophic, if not apocalyptic. Uh, so, I, you know, people have to be reminded that, uh, you know, we may be en- entering into a holiday period where we tend to uh, lull ourselves into a certain amount of submission, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, what do I say, uh, imperviousness. But, you know, in fact, the war is still going on in Ukraine, and it's been going on for over eight months. It's almost 250 days old. Well, it really is, and the Congress just authorized lethal aid for uh, U- Ukraine, and uh, covertly it's been coming in anyway from, uh, I quoted the defense minister of Ukraine, saying he's getting it from NATO countries, saying, I can't, I can't tell you who they are, but it's, but it's coming in, NATO countries. Well, who's the main NATO, NATO country? America. I believe America has been arming Ukraine all along since before the conflict began with lethal weapons, heavy weapons, and, uh, and Kiev is infested with CIA and uh, and uh, FBI and special forces operatives. Uh, the Ukrainian government has been regroup- regrouping, sending more forces to the southeast. I think it's just a matter of time before the conflict erupts full force again. I wrote a couple of articles on possible false flags. I have another one mm-hmm. in mind. Uh, one of them, a possible nuclear false flag, blamed on Russia. This is the kind of ugly stuff that goes on sub Rosa, Rick. And I don't, I don't, I don't think for a moment that we're going to see peace in the southeast. America especially, they install this fascist government. They're controlling what's going on. They want to control all of Ukraine, not with any pockets of democracy existing anywhere. And they're going to go all out to destroy the democratic pockets, no matter what it takes to do it, including a full-scale war, maybe killing many thousands more Ukrainians. This is what I see ahead. And blaming it on Russia. Yeah, I commend you on your article of yesterday. It, it was a real eye-opener. I, I would recommend your listeners to hunt it down. Uh, lovely world we live in, uh, Rick, uh, at this hall at any time of the year, but especially during the time of peace and goodwill to men. Yeah, sure. Not with America running, r- running, running around the world like, like, uh, like, like, <laughs> 
mm. like a monster that it is, Rick. No, <laughs> I, I would just recommend, and I have to thank the, the late Studs Terkel here of Chicago uh, for introducing me to the poem, but uh, Tennyson's poem, Ring Out Wild Bells, a New Year's poem, uh, you know, hunted up uh, on, the, on the internet, whoever's hearing this, um, Ring Out the Thousand Wars of Old is, is a line that comes to mind, but overall it's a very wonderful poem. It, it probably sets the tone for the holiday season as uh, best one can. Oh, did, did you meet Studs, by the way? Uh, no, we used to be neighbors. I live in Uptown. We were a few months. Oh. I, I knew his wife, uh, Ida, but I didn't. Uh, actually, I did meet him. I met him at work, <laughs> but, uh, about which I shouldn't say anymore. Uh, yeah, I did meet Studs. He was very uh, um, personable. Uh, I, wanted, I wanted to meet him once, too, Kathy Kelly, who's been on this program, uh, the, glorious, the glorious activist who, who literally has put her life in harm's way many, many times uh, working for peace. And she told me that, that, that it, when I wanted to meet Studs, that his hearing was so bad that he really felt embarrassed to get together with anybody because he couldn't really hear what they were saying. So I had a pass, and of course, Suds has been gone for a few years now, but he was an extraordinary man. I've read, I've read about half a dozen of his books. Yeah, as a matter of fact, Kathy Kelly lives one block from me in Uptown, so uh, she and I and Studs are all neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know exactly where you are. I visited Kathy one time in in, uh, in 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 that area, but it's been a good number of years, Rick, and uh, I regret very badly that uh, I didn't have a chance to meet Studs, an extraordinary guy who wrote people's histories of the things yeah. going on, history in in the in the words of the people who lived it. Wonderful stuff. You're right. You know, he was a servant to the people and recording what they had to say rather than some American person who uh, you know assumed to talk down to them. I agree with you. That's a very important distinction. Indeed, Rick. Uh, I think we have run over time. I'm you sorry about get, that. You have to get back to work. I'm going to let you go. Uh, I'll email you. I look forward to getting you back in the new year, Rick. Your comments are so important. I must tell you, I learn stuff every time you come on this program. Uh, feeling is mutual and more than mutual, Stephen. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Rick. I wish I'm my glad to see are... you back in harness. <laughs> well, I am back. I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm still uh, hopefully moving in the right direction. I'm not getting any younger, Rick, at age 80. So <laughs> you could have fooled me. <laughs> you sound more, uh, you know, uh, vi uh, vibrant and lively every time I talk to you. So that's good. Well, basically, what very, I do now, good. I do from the neck up. <laughs> <laughs> well, most people operate from the neck down, so that's good. You, I mean, you that would be very tough to me, I must say, at this time of my life. But again, I wish you a very, very happy holiday season and a new year, and certainly the same to my listeners. Thank you so much, Stephen. Thank you, Rick.